Welcome to the sixth episode of our podcast series named The Most Important Issues in Business Crime, where we ask leading business crime experts from around the world to tell us about the most important topics that you need to know about. The object is to briefly identify the most important issues, but not to catalog every potential one. Today, our episode focuses on current issues in handling whistleblower allegations. Whistleblower allegations and investigations obviously raise really important issues for corporations, boards, executives, and employees. And I'm so excited today to be joined by two of my partners uh, in Asia, Jolita Panjaitan and Andrew Chung. We're so lucky to have them and I'm so lucky to have them as my partners. Jolita is based in Singapore and Andrew is based in Hong Kong, but both cover Asia quite broadly and both have very, very deep experience in handling whistleblower allegations, as well as a range of disputes that can arise. I want to jump into things, but I do want to note that particularly from a U.S. perspective, whistleblowing has obviously exploded for a variety of reasons. And I uh, just wanted to note from the SEC statistics in this past fiscal year, it's hard to believe the SEC received 12,300 whistleblower tips and they made 103 whistleblower awards that totaled about $229 million. I think in part that explains why they're getting so many tips that the awards have grown. Um, but I, I do wanna compare and contrast how what's going on in the US with what's going on in Asia. And let's just jump right in then with Jolita. And let me ask this, is there a culture of whistleblowing in Asia, which is sort of like what we have over here, or is it different? Hi, Doug. Um I'd say if I was to make a broad generalization and plainly there has to be a, a range of spectrum of cultures across different companies in Asia, including companies that are of course multinationals and headquartered outside of Asia. But if we were to make a broad generalization, from my experience, I'd say the work culture in Asia tends to be more conservative and in particular more hierarchical and that does influence the level of whistleblowing that, that has typically gone on. There are generally cultural sensitivities around speaking out, especially in a way that would undermine those who are senior to an employee who has witnessed something that, that is of concern um, or where the person they want to make an allegation against is in a high position. And in the past, we've worked on some very large issues with huge financial impact for companies in Asia, including, as I say, you know, companies that are not headquartered in Asia but have significant Asia operations where maybe an issue was embedded years earlier than when it finally materialized and caused um, the loss and, and harm to the company because somebody failed to speak out about a risk at the relevant time um, and or maybe it created a shortcut um, to, uh, to access that risk or understand what the issues were. And, and the main reasons would have been things like a fear of reprisal or, or simply being seen as undermining um, a superior. And so those concerns went unspoken. And of course, as often happens in companies materialized later as a real as a real problem that had escalated. Um, but actually, the trend is shifting in, in my view. And there are several different reasons for that, including the activity of regulators. There aren't the sort of publicized statistics that you just described. That's really very impressive out of the US. Um, but certainly regulators have been active in, in encouraging and indeed mandating whistleblowing as, um, as a policy and as a practice amongst companies and particularly uh, listed and, and financial corporations in Asia. Um, and Andrew and I certainly have been working on an increasing number of investigations 
allegations of serious issues uh, that have been triggered or come to light uh, by whistleblowing reports in areas that include fraud, uh, corruption, uh, non-compliance with significant policies, and also, of course, harassment. Oh, that's super interesting. I think, Julita, the, in particular, the, the way that culture plays into the motivation and how to handle the investigation and witnesses is so important. And it's one of the reasons why I love working with you guys when we have a problem. You, you are on the ground. You understand the local issues that we need to be worried about and how to manage them. What do you think is behind the increasing number of investigations that you, I know you've seen as I see you're working on them. What's, what do you think is behind that? So the regulatory piece is there and, and I come on to maybe in a bit more detail how the regulators mandate that kind of um, change. But there's also, I think, just some other psychological and maybe work environment type changes that have gone on. Uh, I hate to say the word pandemic because that's the only thing we ever talk about. But in the post pandemic environment, um, I do think things are different uh, in terms of the relationships between between people who work together. And hybrid working has, I think, disrupted in some ways the usual supervisory and, and control relationships between um, between employees and companies. That that might mean, and I know many of us have anticipated a rise uh, in whistleblowing investigations, but more broadly in misconduct, which is then revealed by whistleblowing uh, because of um, because people have been less visible uh, in the workplace. And so there's a pot and, you know, an opportunity for misconduct uh, that may not have been there before. But also, I think the reticence to report a senior person might also have diminished through that sort of breakdown of the the control or, or supervisory relationship where people are very close together physically and, and sort of watching each other or there's an opportunity for immediate retaliation or pressure. And so that may also in and of itself create some more use of whistleblowing channels that are available in, in companies. And we know that these whistleblowing channels are both the formal ones and the informal ones. So some that come just through through good relationships that are outside of the standard supervisory structure, um, as well as you know hotlines and emails and so on, are, are really critical to enable companies to detect risky conduct um, as early as possible and avoid you know subsequent losses. Although there isn't any comprehensive law either in Hong Kong or Singapore that requires all companies to implement a whistleblowing policy. Uh, to assess or process whistleblowing complaints. Both listed companies and financial institutions in both of those jurisdictions are encouraged to establish whistleblowing policies. And, and if there's a whistleblowing policy, then obviously also to, to follow it. And regulators and over, oversight bodies have, um, have definitely demonstrated their focus on, on that as an issue. So one example of that, I think, is, is the bank culture reform initiative that the Hong Kong Monetary Authority um, has undertaken, and they've issued a series of measures setting out expectations around um, what banks would have in place in terms of effective whistleblowing mechanisms to allow staff to make reports about behaviour they've witnessed that they think is contrary to either market expectations or, um, or indeed just ethics within the firm. Or indeed, going further, as I mentioned earlier, you know, possibly into the into the, the area of unlawful activity, uh, and to encourage their employees to speak up through um, through those channels, but also then to regularly review those channels to ensure that they are effective and are enabling employees to um, to have their concerns aired. 
and then the Securities and Futures Commission in Hong Kong, which is the other key financial regulatory body, also has mandated licensed corporations um, to immediately self-report actual or suspected breaches of laws or regulations. That's been in place for a very long time, um, but then have now um, added to that the encouragement of, of implementing whistleblowing channels so that employees are able to come forward with those concerns in a way that enables the, the corporation to know um, what's going on and whether they have something that ought to be reported uh, to a regulator as well. Um, and then listed corporations, listed companies, as I mentioned, so, so including outside of the, the core financial sector, um, are also encouraged through the uh, Code of Corporate Governance Practices um, from the Hong Kong Main Board Listing Rules to implement whistleblowing policies as well. So across the board, at least in those parts of the those those parts of the um, the private sector, there is um, there is real encouragement and and you know consequence as well if if uh, firms don't carry through with what they say they will do or what they're asked to do uh, in relation to providing whistleblowing channels. That's a great summary of the Hong Kong um, environment. What about in Singapore? Is it different there? Yeah, so actually relatively similar. In fact, if anything, you know, even more, even more mandatory in in my experience, and in terms of the sort of tone that we hear from the regulators in in their regular sort of speeches and and directions to the market. Um, so in Singapore, we also have a monetary authority, and their guidelines on um, individual accountability and conduct mandate that the board um, of financial institutions or, and senior management are responsible for ensuring robust and effective whistleblowing policies are in place. And as, as the word individual accountability suggests, um, they're expected then to see through <clears throat> the level of accountability, the accountability of individuals who, um, who are found to engage in, in any misconduct. And listed companies as well through the listing rules of the SGX um, are also obliged to implement their whistleblowing policies and also obliged to report on that in, in their annual reports. And actually, I was just thinking about what you said about regulated reporting and, and um, keeping tabs on the number of, of reports that they receive directly on in their own whistleblowing channels. Um, the Singapore Stock Exchange also uh, maintains um, a whistleblowing channel which through which individuals can directly report concerns they have about listed companies or the offices of listed companies um, so that they can do that directly to the exchange without needing to go through the company's whistleblowing uh, channel if there is one, uh, which is which is a further sort of opportunity to, to make known concerns. I haven't ever seen statistics published on how many people do that, um, but I'm sure it does provide uh, an additional level of assurance in the market that um, that those concerns can be aired if they uh, if they exist. Wow, thank you. Well, that, against that backdrop, I think we should shift to Andrew. And I, um, hopefully some of our clients are listening or potential clients and their employers and I want to ask Andrew, like, what, is it, what does all this mean if you're an employer? What, what should you be worried about? What would you say to them? Um, th thanks, Doug. I, look, I think, you know, what we've seen from all the work that we've done for a variety of clients across a variety of the jurisdictions in Asia is that um, there's, there's quite a wide spectrum of uh, development of, of employers' whistleblowing policies um, for our Many of our international clients, you know, they have some quite well-developed whistleblowing policies and procedures, uh, which they have rolled out um, in Asia in the same way they roll it out in other parts of the world. But I think for some of our regional and local clients, uh, they have less developed procedures. Uh, and you see a, a real evolution of uh, how these whistleblowing policies and procedures 
um, get get rolled out and then implemented within organisations. I think I think what we often see as an initial stage is um, a whistleblower policy being written and put in a staff handbook and then forgotten about promptly. Um, and that's really not enough. I mean, as a first step, you know, employers need to raise the profile of their whistleblowing channels uh, to promote those channels and, and to raise awareness uh, as to the use of those processes to allow uh, employees to really speak up and to promote a culture of speaking up. Um, any good whistleblowing framework should also be publicised, not just to employees, but also to third parties, uh, distributors, suppliers, contractors, and other counterparties, because of course misconduct can, can occur in lots of different ways. Um, what else should they do? In addition to raising the profile of the whistleblowing policies, I think it's important to train staff, uh, including senior management, and perhaps most importantly, senior management, um, on the importance of implementing these properly. Um, and one of the things this includes is really uh, having safeguards to prevent retaliation against whistleblowers. Um, there should be uh, periodic reviews of whistleblowing programs to assess how many reports are being made, uh, how the processes are being conducted, you know, when issues are raised, uh, and how they're being resolved. Um, are there lessons learned um, from particular uh, instances that, that, that should be used as a way to improve um, the policies and processes. Um, and I think there should also be a, a comprehensive legal survey of the local laws and regulations around whistleblowing in all jurisdictions. Uh, you, you, you've asked about the position in Asia and as Jalita has noted, you know, there's a wide variety of jurisdictions and laws and cultures. Um, and, and what's important is to recognise that one size doesn't fit all. Um, and so companies should be looking to take their policies and tailor them to each jurisdiction, uh, both the, the law, the legal and the, the, the regulatory framework, but also the cultural um, environment in which they operate. Thanks, Andrew. I mean, I, those resonate um, as I think about what the regulators over here have been saying about you know, more broadly compliance programs and our concern that clients might get stuck uh, with a regulator's perception that their policies are sort of sitting on the bookshelf gathering dust. And I, you know, this is a reminder to like pull them out, make them useful, make them apply, do an, an assessment. And you, you may be surprised at what you find uh, when it relates to just the policy. So let's move on from the policy, Andrew. And I know you've, you've been in the, the battle or the battles with figuring out, like understanding the facts, you know, what do you do when, um, you are faced with a whistleblower allegation. What should companies kind of know about um, when they start digging into these things? What would you say to them on that issue? Uh, each investigation will obviously be different, but I think there's some, some common issues or, 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 or things to be aware of in any whistleblower investigation. Uh, and there's, there's some also common mistakes that can be made at an early stage if you don't think about things properly. Um, first, uh, you know, companies should take complaints seriously. It, it sounds obvious, but we have seen instances where these complaints are, are dismissed on their face, maybe because they're not drafted with great precision. Maybe the, the, the language is poor because it may be that the, the, the whistleblower, uh, their first language is in English. It may be another language. And so because of that, the, the complaint isn't taken seriously, but it's really important that that's not the case, that that each complaint is, is really viewed on its merit. Um, uh, what else? Um, 
we've mentioned retaliation before, but this is critical. Um, it, it is very important to avoid actual retaliation, but also the perception of retaliation against a whistleblower. Uh, and retaliation can take uh, many forms. Um, can be formal things such as demotion or termination of an employee, but but creating a hostile work environment, um, you know, could also be viewed as retaliation. Um, one of the key things to to ensure uh, or to protect against retaliation is protection of the whistleblower's identity, uh, and that's really really critical. Um, second, develop a plan for the internal investigation uh, to ensure it's conducted thoroughly, objectively, and credibly. Um, uh, of course, you know, consider engaging outside counsel, um, you know, where appropriate um, and use external reviewers or other external experts, um, you know, given, you know, in particular cases, you know, this can provide a degree of independence in the investigation, which, uh, depending on how things go, can turn out to be very important. Um, a, a fully independent review, you know, commissioning a party to do a completely independent review uh, is sometimes appropriate, but in our experience, it's not the default, certainly. But, but, but having appropriate advice at an early stage is very important. Um, third, uh, internal communication about the investigation, uh, I think, uh, is something to be very careful about. It, it should be kept as neutral as possible, uh, and it shouldn't be, um, the company shouldn't be seen to prejudge the issues. Uh, depending on how the investigation develops, it's quite possible that those internal communications may have to be turned over to a regulator or to uh, 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 a counterparty in civil litigation um, or potentially even law enforcement authorities. And, and it's really important that the company isn't seen to be prejudging issues at an early stage through loose communication internally. Um, I think uh, ensuring that sufficient information uh, is provided um, is, really, is really critical to, to key stakeholders so that there's not speculation or gossip um, at the time uh, or during the investigation. Uh, uh, what else? Um, as with any investigation, not just whistleblower investigations, uh, ensuring that documents are retained and not destroyed uh, is key, whether the, through the use of document hold notices or other, other processes that companies have, but that's really important uh, to ensure that there's no uh, deliberate or, or routine destruction of material. Um, Employees should also be warned about not creating further documents um, that, again, may have to be produced uh, to third parties at, uh, at some stage, regardless of the channel, whether that's instant messages, emails, or recorded telephone calls. Uh, and ensuring confidentiality of all that material is, is really, really critical. Um, uh, what else? Legal privilege, uh, of course, we would always say that, but, but really it is of critical importance. We've seen on many occasions privileged material uh, being intermingled with non-privileged material uh, or being provided to third parties such that uh, privilege may be lost. Um, once that happens, it's very, very difficult to undo. Uh, and so being thoughtful about uh, the creation and protection of legally privileged material is, is really, uh, really critical. Uh, and finally, um, it, for, for some clients, um, they may have duties to report the issue to, to financial regulators, to exchanges, or, or you know, to other authorities, uh, including law enforcement authorities, and so ensure that the uh, any self-reporting duty is considered at a very early stage.
Boy, those are, that's a great laundry list of issues to, to worry about at the beginning of any investigation, whether it's corporate or individual. So thank you for that. Um, I'm wondering, Jolita, as you listen to Andrew sort of tick those things off, do you have anything to add or, you know, revise as you think about those issues? As you say, Doug, that was a, a very comprehensive list. Maybe two things that, that I would draw out from it, just echoing from, from my own experience as well. Uh, first of all, it, it seems obvious that one ought to take allegations made by a whistleblower seriously, but it's remarkable how often companies and particularly senior management in companies unfortunately react quite defensively to, uh, to whistleblower allegations and in particular target the whistleblower, not necessarily with retaliatory acts, but just simply discount the credibility of what they say, because perhaps they have an axe to grind, they've had a recent poor performance review, they're potentially being managed out, or, or other issues have gone on in their, in, in their work environment, or their relationship with a team. Now, of course, that may be a motivating factor for raising a matter, but if it turns out that the matter is true, then that really is by, completely by the by and irrelevant to whether or not the conduct itself has happened and, and needs to be addressed. And um, in particular, bringing that together with what Andrew said about communications and especially unwise communications placed in writing, uh, you can get some very unfortunate exchanges between, um, between senior management saying uh, really quite um, detrimental things about the whistleblower and, you know, mentioning them, saying things about them personally and their personal background, which actually just suggests that the culture of the of the relevant company is not one that that is focused on the conduct question, but rather is is looking to defend itself or or suppress um, complaints. So um, whilst it does appear obvious that that an allegation, if it's serious, should be taken seriously, that unfortunately just isn't always the case and is something that needs to be guarded against from an from an early stage. Um, and then Andrew also mentioned about protection against retaliation. And I must say that when um, when I do investigations, it always seems to me, and I think perhaps just as lawyers who do this for a living, you think of the whistleblower as automatically being entitled to some level of protection or, or, or coverage for the fact that they've spoken out, we all know. And as I've mentioned in the Asian context, I think it's a hard thing uh, often for people to speak up. Uh, but unfortunately, you know, that isn't always, again, how organizations um, behave. And in particular, it's really important to be able to place protective measures um, around an investigation and around a whistleblower as quickly as possible. Um, those are not always mandated by legislation or other rules, but certainly in the companies that I've dealt with where whistleblowing has been most effective at protecting the company, um, those have been environments where whistle whistleblowing has um, it's been strongly emphasized in every interview or interaction that I've had with management, with the whistleblower themselves, with people who are suspected of wrongdoing and, and even just witnesses, that the firm has, has a strong position on non-retaliation and will not accept and expects to hear about uh, any situations where direct or indirect retaliation, as, as Andrew said, can happen um, if, if that takes place. And whistleblowers, in my experience, often need a lot of support during an investigation, and that can be also overlooked, that once they've made their complaint, people sort of take that and then it takes on a life of its own, and they assume that that, that is the only thing that's needed to be focused on is the complaint itself and validating the complaint or assessing it. But actually whistleblowers themselves can often uh, need need attention, need need some level of information to understand that their concern has been has been dealt with um, even after they've first come forward. And I think the way in which a company manages that aspect of the process really sets a tone for anyone else who may have a concern to raise. 
not that necessarily all of that is is widely shared at the time, given the need for confidentiality, perhaps even for anonymity. But overall, it does um, it does set the culture of of the firm. If everybody who has any contact with an investigation into a whistleblower whistleblower allegation um, is reminded and experiences the firm um, holding the line around um, around whistleblower protection, it really does support the overall sort of infrastructure for further complaints or concerns to be raised in a way that ultimately, as I say, protects the company and its own reputation. No, those are great points. I mean, listening to the suggestions, it just makes me, the, the one thing that comes to mind for me is at the beginning of handling one of these issues, think about where you want to end up and think about what you're doing, being scrutinized by others um, and, you know, act accordingly. And I think if you think about that, uh, before you start investigating, that helps with the plan and, and setting the tone and treating people how you want, want to be viewed as treating them. Well, thank you, Julita and Andrew, so much. I mean, this is a great way to kick off the new year. Happy 2023 to you all. Um, this is obviously just a quick overview of key issues, and we're happy to answer any questions about whistleblowing or investigations generally around the world, because we do have a global reach. Um, and, you know, just thank you so much for taking the time to do this, Andrew and Julita. Thank you for everybody's listening, and I hope you'll join us on our next episode of The Most Important Issues in Business Crime. Thanks so much. Mm -hmm.